Welcome to On Belonging, an audio series to connect us. On Belonging explores why so many of us are feeling called to find a deeper sense of belonging, whether with our ancestors or to the land where we live and beyond. These powerful stories and conversations are an invitation into the lives and landscapes of the guests' worlds, offering pathways towards remembering and finding more belonging. You are about to hear a story from Cooley Ross. It is followed by a conversation between Jamie Lee and Cooley. stretching into the expanse of Shusky's wide embrace. This is our daily ritual, grounding me into the reflection that I, Mortak, am but a tiny, tiny speck. My kin, Aya, moves to me. Our eyes interlock as Shusky dances around us. Our souls have known one another for countless cycles of the vow lore. With an assured look, I fill with excitement as my being begins to shine. A glorious adventure awaits us. With powerful strides, we bound through difficult terrain with ease. Feeling the rush, we leap from the towering shoulder of Pisha. I spread my arms wide, beaming a bright smile at Pisha as a chill rushes my bones at the sheer magnitude of their presence. I float here, a speck, frozen, wrapped in the timelessness of this moment, falling until Ashway rushes up to meet me. And with playful precision, I tuck into a roll, landing alongside Aya in a crouch. The Wolverine applause in a rustling of leaves, triumphantly. Ashwe beams brightly, illuminating the high planes of our bodies slicked with sweat. In this pause, I feel a pulsing rhythm below me and move to 
to place a listening hand upon the Wolverine's spine. The Val Nur is calling our aid. Woven from being to being in an endless channel of interconnection, we can hear the wounded cries of our kin amplified. We follow the path humming in resonance, clearing a great distance, and arrive to see Rue, foot maimed in a steel tooth trap. In tandem, Aya and I place a palm on Rue and open the other upwards in ritual. The shackle begins to flicker in and out, in and out of view, in and out, a shimmering veil until it vanishes completely. A moment later, Rue's leg stands unmarred and white. They shake before breaking into a full run howling playfully up at Ashway. I sit upon Ashway's damp lap under the attentive gaze of both Aya and Ashway and take a deep breath, feeling their love and care wash over me. Another breath. My nose fills with scent fresh and wet as a softness beneath me tugs me gently down another breath down I'm heavy and light the name of Cooley. Uh, I am an indigenous person living on the west coast. These are not my lands and territories. I've been a uninvited guest here um, for almost 10 years. I am a Cree, Métis. I am an artist of so many different forms. Storytelling has been um, just this beautiful kind of culmination of all of my artistic gifts and calling. So it's been really beautiful and I feel very honored anytime I'm um, given the opportunity to continue to share stories. 
So I'm willing to be in some kind of limelight in order to continue to do that. Yep. Um, I kind of want to like start broad and then maybe, or start more uh, technical, I guess, um, and start with like making the, the, the piece and some of the creative choices you made. Anyways, can you just, can you give me like an idea of um, how and why you made some of your creative choices? Like, you know, they were calling a mountain a mountain and instead using um, like names for all the more than human kin and and Mm. some other choices that you made, right? Yeah. I think um, the episode, even the the whole, the choice for the whole of the episode um, was very very much on on brand as far as like where what I do with storytelling where like each story I create is so vastly different it's like totally uncharted territory every time Um, I'm like such an explorer in that way and a pusher of edges which I think is like also good medicine um as a person who tells stories and works often with word Um, The only language I speak is the English language, unfortunately, but that's how colonization has worked out for me. Um, Semantics are something I think about probably way more than your average person. They're like deeply interesting to me. Um, And I often feel as though, especially with the English language, that it is a spell and an invocation um, and often one that like we're not really aware necessarily like of the capturing of and I think we just like very unconsciously use language a lot and I think about words like belonging which like by its very use of the word suggests that we don't innately belong and I think a very interesting language trap that is unique to the English language um because I'm sure, like, I don't speak Indigenous language. I've taken some Cree lessons. But I'm sure that the language doesn't actually directly translate in Indigenous language because um, the universe that I believe in, that I feel connected to, and not that I'm not a part of what the English language has created, our capitalist society. But I feel like that universe, um, you innately belong. So there's no word for the idea that you wouldn't. I was like, yeah, I really want to take this concept Um, because we accept words and their meanings and we don't really question them, especially in our culture. I was trying to do my best with storytelling to break some of those standard forms that we also don't question. And so I was like, okay, so if we're talking about belonging Um, as something that's innate that doesn't even require a word that there isn't the opposite of not belonging that it's like as innate as oxygen we just do we just breathe we just are a part of this web what beings would send that message of being a part of this web and so I thought about different beings for a long time I was like oh maybe grandmother spider that would be cool. Or maybe like the spark that grandmother spider drops down in like following it through different incarnations. Um, And then I landed on a Sasquatch being and that felt pretty right. 
And then as far as the story world creating, um, there was all kinds of things like how, how would a Sasquatch participate? Um, that would be so much similar to ways that we see other beings in the web of relation participate, but how different would they also participate as a very conscious, aware, articulate being that are so different than the way that human beings and, and language was clearly going to be one (laughs) again with language and its power and, um, it's like ability to capture. I was like, Oh, well, no, no, no. Like we're not going to make a mountain, a dead thing with our word. We are going to greet it by its name. It is our, it is our kin. It is alive. And so, and it was a really bold choice in making an audio story because with a visual story, maybe the listeners would have a bit more of some anchoring audio story where this being is interacting with different beings, but we are not giving them place names. I think it really invites the listener into something that is just like very different and even discombobulating. I did share this story um, at a little storyteller's uh, gala that I was a part of after I told a story, a personal story about an interaction I had with a Sasquatch in my life. I shared this little sound bit that I created for this episode. And um, I noticed that it is like a little bit discombobulating for people, which I love that edges, trickster energy. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Definitely like a lot of the themes coming up across a lot of our episodes um, in this series is, yeah, that like kind of false or not false because it's real that we experience it, but that um, sense of duality around belonging um, and that, you know, we we do, a lot of us really do believe that belonging is inherent, um, but that we've also created and implemented systems or like empire, or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, that, that isolate us from that sense of belonging or that feeling of belonging. And, you know, I listened through your piece, quite a few times and like each time I felt like I got a different like understanding of a piece of um of this feeling that I I feel and experience um it's like really visceral representation uh and yeah like you know I don't need the visuals to be anchored because I was just really in my feeling body when I was listening um and yeah this visceral representation of that connection and belonging as a part of kinship with like more than human world around us. And there's this moment where, and I didn't write down the names, um, but the creature is stuck in a snare. Right. Um, Mm. And for me, that really brought up like how hard it can feel under certain systems and how isolated we can feel under certain systems and how those systems can act violence on us. Um, But it, it, and it can make us feel like we don't belong. Um, and it also like really like, and then, you know, the resolution of that piece or that moment is like, we also belonging is innate, but it also relies on us taking care of one another too. So for me, listening to your piece, I, I hear, or I felt that like 
reciprocity was a really big part of belonging. Um, and you have to see yourself as a piece of the whole or like, you know, as, you know, or see yourself as the whole. <laughs> yeah. I think reciprocity is a practice that is just so beautiful. Um, and again, it's like pretty innate within indigenous ways of participating within the whole. Um, so I think it's a part of my storytelling because it's a part of what's centered in my awareness all of the time. Um, and then certainly a part of the storytelling when we're talking about beings that aren't as bound by this kind of chokehold, <laughs> this trap <laughs> that is like, just even like the, the semant, the language difference in calling a mountain a thing versus addressing that being by its name. They seem like small gestures, but they're so radically different paradigms, you know, same with reciprocity, like just a radically different paradigm of participating. And it just, it, it boils down to if you are practicing holism where you're like connected and not separate to the whole web of relation, then the affliction that falls upon that creature, it you're not separate from that. You're invested in the betterment of, of your kin, um, which is like, almost the opposite of <laughs> capitalism teaches us like you know so again like i recognize that some of these um like recipes that are just natural for me to put into story um are like completely discombobulating for like people that are that really believe in capitalism and colonization if you can like share any practices or or even like experiences or times for you where you you found like that sense of belonging even in times of chaos or isolation like oh it's storytelling time <laughs> <laughs> I just put my hands together and gave my Thomas smile <laughs> so mm -hmm. okay uh, when we first moved to Victoria, our landing here was harsh AF. Oof. Like, it was just like a chasing dreams, dreams just being like, you know, totally not coming true, very devastated. We kind of like made our <laughs> rickety selves here and we're like really not feeling in a very good way. Like life had kind of kicked us around and we were licking our wounds. <clears throat> so not feeling super um, confident, connected, you know, very much feeling pretty wounded and kind of lost even. We have 
done a fair amount of wild foraging and we just like to be in the outdoors, um, obviously, like a natural way to be. And we wish we could kind of spend more time than we do even. And so we have made plans to take a friend out um, foraging. And we were really trying to find some morels. So we were looking at old burn patches and we'd kind of scattered a few out kind of out by Sombrio. So that was kind of the mission. We were up early. It was early spring. There'd just been a rain for a couple days. It was sunny. So like conditions were right. And we headed out and we were trying to find this old burn patch for hours. Like we left the house probably at five in the morning um, to drive out there and get out there early enough. And once we arrived to Souk to pick up our friend, we realized oh my gosh, we left our dog. We were so tired. We just left her at home. That's so sad. And like, she's my shadow. So it's very rare for me to leave her kind of ever. And it was like, that is so peculiar. Like, why did that occur? Um, So like, the magic of the day had already kind of like, began kind of like weaving itself around our day. And so we failed as far as the burn patch was concerned. So we pivoted around lunch and we're like, hey, let's just go find some mushrooms. So we jumped in the car and we were looking for some alder trees because it was spring oyster season. And so we drive, we drive, we see some, we pull over, but it's a pretty deep like kind of drop off. So we're like, hey, that's a bit too steep. For us to feel like we can safely get down, let's keep driving. And then we find another little patch of alders we can kind of see. And so we pull over and that's a reasonable like descent down into the forest. So we're like, let's do it. We pull over. We begin kind of like pushing some bush. There's this little kind of crappy barbed wire fence we have to climb over. And we're walking for about 25 minutes and uh, my partner spots some oyster mushrooms and some, some dead older trees. So he's like, hey, look over there. And so we all kind of see them off to the right and we start walking over there like, yay, we found some. And then immediately we seen this like collection of feathers. That's like, it just looked like a bunch of weirdly arranged feathers hanging from a tree. And we stopped and we're like, what is happening? Like, what is, what are we looking at? And then the head from the collection of feathers turned completely around because it was an owl. Oh, my God. <laughs> Looked at it. We were like, oh, my gosh. Okay, this is a living collection of feathers. An owl being very interesting. And we were kind of at a distance. And then we kind of all from our different vantage points just kind of stopped and looked at it for a while because we were very confused. We were like, it's daytime. Why are we seeing an owl? Why is this owl like not moving? Why is it hanging upside down from this tree? Is there something about owls that I didn't know that they sleep like bats? Why don't I know this? So all these questions are going through. We're very confused. We're trying to process information. We're looking at this owl. And then we all realize at the same time, it's stuck. This owl is stuck in the tree. And so, you know, uh, the story of how it got stuck is pretty easy to imagine. It was raining. 
you know, as I said, a couple nights before storming, it appears the owl was maybe hunting and then had gotten its claws kind of stuck deep into like a crevice of some tree branches um, as it was probably trying to catch some little kind of critter and then like slipped down further and further with the rain. And so we're like, okay, what do we do here? We decide, okay. And luckily the two other people we're with, because I'm five foot one and a half and these people are six foot five. So fortunate for us, they're very tall, which was good because the owl was still pretty high up in the tree. So together they wrapped their jacket around the owl and then kind of wiggled it up and then set it down and then quickly ran away because it's an owl. Owls are scary, right? Like they are predator birds. They're huge. The owl was as big as me for sure. Uh, again, it was about probably <laughs> five foot one. Uh, so we like quickly just ran away and, uh, but then the owl didn't move and it didn't move for a while. So we're like, okay, this owl is in a bad way. So we decided to take the owl to Wild Ark. So we weren't getting reception out there. We were calling and calling and calling. They're like an animal, like a wild animal rehabilitation center. Um, no reception, no reception. So we wrapped the owl like a baby in jackets to kind of bind its wings and feet, like worst case scenario. Um, and then the two individuals, the tall ones, were carrying the owl. They did gesture. They asked if I wanted to carry the owl. And ultimately, my tiny animal instincts <laughs> kicked on. And I was like, I'm touched to be a part of this moment. But no, I'm also where I'm at, guys. So I am feeling good on that. Um, so we wrapped this precious owl like a baby and they were carrying it like a baby, like a newborn. And it was just kind of like looking at us and like so peaceful. And we made our way back to the vehicle. And we made our way to uh, Wild Ark. And we were singing to the owl because it was in a rough way. It kept closing its eyes and kind of nodding off. All of us were crying um, because it was just so... It was so clear um, that we were being, like, uh, orchestrated, you know? We were being, like, almost puppeteered and guided so strongly that whole entire day from forgetting my dog at home, who would have deeply upset the owl. She's very peaceful, but it would have deeply distressed this already in stress. And we were essentially called by the universe to be in that place at that place and time where the owl was just tired enough. It had fought the tree for so long to try and get free. And it was just tired enough and just dehydrated enough that it didn't fight us. And all of these elements perfectly came together. Like, why did we go to that random spot of forest? You know, and, and all, all, everyone in that uh, group also was indigenous which was like another like, oh, wow, this is a cool factor. And so we brought the owl to Wild Ark and they told us like the owl was in a pretty rough way and they told us it was a barred owl, like B-A-R-R-E-D. So anyways, we left and to some indigenous um, creation stories, the owl is like a heart ringer of 
the end of your journey to go back up to provider. And so I made a joke about how because we saved an owl, we all just like got a different life. Like we all just leveled up. We like, <laughs> you know, one extra life and we're all going to live now to be 200 because like we called a couple days later to check in on the owl and um, they said that it was massively dehydrated and they got it on IV and it was, it bounced right back. It was eating solid food and they were actually going to release it back into like the area we kind of rescued it from the next day. And so, yeah, it was, it was saved, but, uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. There's no really denying, um, the magic of life in moments like that, right? Even despite happenstance, despite the devastating realities of colonization and being broke <laughs> and having your dreams dashed, like you're still, yeah. And that is in that moment, you know, all that mattered was that we were being called upon. Okay, to bring it back to your piece, um, to your story, one piece that I really like appreciated is that there's this jump out of the like, I'm going to call it the dream world. Um, and I really love that it doesn't actually really tear you, um, like it takes you out of the dream world, but it doesn't tear away that like innate belonging that you were. Um, uh, bringing forward, right? Rather, it seems to to point to the need to remember our belonging in this world, um, and that we can take that that belonging we feel in like a dream world or in our whatever more spiritual connection, um, and we can bring it here too. Um, and so, can you can you speak to the the ending a little bit more and why you chose to do this piece like as a dream sequence and at the end have that sort of awakening, um, abrupt feeling of, of awakening, but saying still that felt so real because it is real, right? Um, yes. And if you listen carefully, there is like some of the sound element that has been carried forward into being awake now. I'm not drawing a clear line between this was a dream and this is reality. Uh, I'm kind of trying to blur the lines a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, so, you know, those books and stories that you can read and you're, and you're kind of always guessing the whole time, like the writer has not made a clear stance. Like they're not working so much in binary. There's like many possibilities still. Uh, and you're like, oh, I'm not quite certain if this is the direction or if this is what they're saying, or it seems like they could be saying this or this or this. Um, I love that so much as a like listener and a storyteller. And so I knew I had an opportunity to do that with this story. Um, and so I'm not like necessarily saying that this was a dream and I'm not saying that it wasn't either. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and like, even like some of more of my intention 
um, is to suggest even that um, what we assume is like a dream, which is like our bodies go to sleep so that our bodies can rest and our consciousness just, you know, goes into sleep mode like our computers. I'm suggesting that um, there's all kinds of veils that especially human beings experience, like the veil uh, of connection, for example, like we, we are often not seeing, and again, like a lot of this is because of colonization, but we're not seeing and experiencing and feeling innate connection uh, with ourselves, uh, with, our, with our kin, with the natural world. And so I, I do see the human experience as being very veiled, um, and I see like uh, the experience of a being like a Sasquatch as being very free and unveiled. And so I was kind of playing around with like, oh, well, what if like sleep is a portal and, you know, we become our more true selves, you know, and not linear time bound, veiled human selves, but are more like, and I don't want to say evolve necessarily because we're all moving together collectively, but definitely like an unveiled being, you know, that is free and connected. And so, and then which reality, then which would you call a reality? Would you call like truly being aware of your existence and participation in the web of relation reality or having the blinders on? (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it's like maybe, maybe both and neither. (laughs) Yeah. So I was kind of playing around with um, yeah, either and all of those ideas and wanted it to kind of land however it landed for the listener. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's your um, relationship to belonging feel like today or these days or in your current space and time? Hmm, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it feels like the Sasquatch being. And then sometimes colonization, especially capitalism, really gets its talons into me. (laughs) And, uh, it's, it like really pulls me away from feeling safe and feeling connected it's so powerful it's like yeah and I'm sure you know many people have had this experience but uh yeah it's just very capturing system capitalism so and I say I have been since the summer kind of like moving from one work contract to the next um and haven't like found like the right security as far as a financial situation. It's been super challenging to actually feel um, centered and safe. Is there anything else um, that you want to say about belonging or your peace or this experience? Well, I really enjoyed creating this story. 
Um, yeah, it was really great uh, practice for myself as an individual, exercise as a storyteller. Um, and then I did mention I, I got to share it as part of another little story, which um, that just like flowed together organically. Um, and it brought me back to this little story about my grandfather, um, which he was such a treasure as a being. So it's been really nice to sit in story with him for the fall. As, as I've been creating this story, it's been like really nostalgic and charming. And often I find the fall season actually can really carry those feelings pretty strongly for me. It's been extra special to, to sit in this story and what this story has um, offered, offered me and where it takes me. It's a beautiful piece. And um, I think the way that you approached it makes it so, um, I mean, it feels universal, even if the characters or the landscape is like to this part of the world, it still feels very um, universal, even though you're drawing from your um, experiences here on these territories, it's still it's still really, really accessible and, and feels um, interwoven into a lot of the other stories we're hearing too. So thank you so much for, um, for, for the work you did here in the storytelling and, and um, also your incredible production abilities. <laughs> it's like so <laughs> beautiful to listen to. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, the Bali Room soundscaping, that is my like, that is a happy place for me, I have to say. Yeah. Well, thank you again um, for this. And um, yeah, we're just really, really grateful. Thanks for listening to On Belonging. This episode featured Cooley Ross with music by the R.A.P. On Belonging is curated by Carla Joy Bergman and Jamie Lee Gonzalez, with tech support by Chris Bergman. The show's awesome theme music is by Awareness. On Belonging is a joyful threads and grounded futures creation. Please visit groundedfutures.com for show notes, transcripts, and to read more about On Belonging. Till next time, keep walking, keep listening. <laughs>